As we read this morning from Luke 16, again, this may sound familiar. Please regard this as a second warning. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. These are indeed the words of Jesus. Thank you. Well, this is part two of uh, uh, this series. The series is Lies in Truth's Clothing. This is part two of um, No One Goes to Hell, which is really just kind of one of the thoughts or lies that are out there. Um, this passage really doesn't cover everything that we're going to be looking at, but it gives us some insight into what we call hell the holding place, and we talked about that last week. Um, I think from what Gia read for us today, um, it's not a place that any of us would want to be or would want, I trust, anyone else to be. Um, you know, uh, just by way of review a little bit, in our culture, we tend to embrace the idea of heaven or paradise, but are much more reluctant to admit that there is a hell, or if we do acknowledge such a place, we discount the possibility that anyone would end up there. And so actually, again, as I shared last week, I'm going to try in this message to, to deal with what m- might be considered three common lies regarding hell, and there could be other variations of this, but it is, first of all, no one goes to hell, or a loving God would not send anyone to hell, or there is no such thing as hell. And if people are willing to admit that there is a hell and that some will go there, then there's a tendency to make light of it. In other words, well, it's not really that bad. Um, And so those are some of the things that are, are common, I guess you could say, beliefs out there. 
And uh, we want to look at the reality of hell. <laughs> okay. Well, the Bible teaches that hell is a very real place. The concept of hell was not invented by the church as a way to scare people into being good. It is an actual place. The idea that no one goes to hell or that there is no hell or that a loving God would not send anyone to hell is really just a convenient and comforting lie. It kind of makes us feel better. So we did talk last week about hell, the holding place, which is, I think, what is referred to here in this passage that Gil read for us today, um, the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. But we want to look at hell, the final place. And so we, we begin that with Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 42. And Jesus said, as the weeds are pulled up and, and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the hell that we generally think of is and we talked about last week, is a holding place. We said that eventually hell itself will go into what is referred to as the fiery furnace or the lake of fire, along with Satan and his demons and all those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. So here's what we need to understand about hell, the final place. Number one, it's eternal. In Jude... Chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And just so we understand that eternal really does mean eternal or forever, the same word that is used for eternal judgment uh, in Hebrews 6.2, where it says instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, is also that word eternal is used for eternal life in John 3.15 that says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And that same word eternal is used for eternal God in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So if any one of these is temporary, then the others must be too. Furthermore, the same phrase that means forever is used of God being alive forever. Revelations 15.7 Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And of eternal life. In John 10.28 I have given them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then of eternal torment. In Revelations 14.11, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. 
There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its, in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Again, there is no way to escape the conclusion that if God is everlasting, so is the punishment or torment that it speaks of in some of these scriptures that I've shared with you. It is hell, the final place, is eternal. The second thing we need to understand here is it is called or referred to as the second death. Revelations 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then Revelations 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So the second death, what is it? Well, the first death is one that we will all experience at some point unless Jesus comes first. This physical body will die at some point. They say the only sure things in life are death and taxes, and that's pretty much true. That The death of the physical body is that which Paul describes as the earthly tent we live in. So he says, when the earthly tent is destroyed, then we go to be with Jesus. So when the body dies of age or illness or injury, that is the first death. The second death, then, is spiritual death. It is complete and total separation from God, who is life. If there's no life, there is only death. It takes place after the judgment when those who have rejected Jesus as Savior will be thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and will die forever. Now, that's a tough one to understand. It's a state of continual dying without end. I don't know how to explain that to you, but I can't think of anything that would be more horrific than that. And then it is a place of torment. Revelations 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Remember I told you, and I'll tell you again before we're done today, hell was not meant for us. At either the holding place or the eternal place. It was not meant for us. God created that for Satan and his demons. He doesn't want any of us to be there. So, um, it is a place of torment. It, it's, it's a place of eternal fire. Matthew 18.8 If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. It is unquenchable fire. Luke 3.17 His winnowing fork 
is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And it's referred to as the fiery furnace, Matthew 13, 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (coughs) And then it's referred to as the lake of fire. Revelations 20, 14, and 15. Then death and Hades, the temporary, the holding place, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And again, this is one of those things that's that humanly is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. What kind of fire is eternal and does not consume? I can't answer that question for you. But when you think about torment, remember I said God is life and there will be God's not there at all. I mean, we're completely separated from God and everything that's good. We're completely separated from everything that is life. So it would be a place of of death, of of unrestrained evil. Uh, Apparently, sinful desires will follow people into hell, the the final place. Whatever each at you now will consume you if you end up in hell. Listen to Jesus' description. This is Mark 9.48. Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Commenting on this idea, C.S. Lewis writes, in fact, C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about hell. And you're going to be hearing from him a couple more times before we're through. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must either be true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I am going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually growing worse, so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable, but it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, Hell is precisely cor- is the precisely correct technical term for what it would be. And then it, hell will be torment because there will be no second chance to fulfill your God-given purpose. To know God had a purpose for your life and you missed it. We, we were created for connection with God. That was God's original purpose and still is for us today. And the people resigned to hell will get an opportunity to see what they missed and have to live for that, with that regret for eternity. Jesus warned of this thing, speaking of his own, to his own people. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place 
at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And notice, notice here there's no reference to fire in, in, that, in those verses. The weeping and gnashing of teeth are the anguish of eternal regret. All opportunities to be what God made you to be and enjoy the relationship He created you to enjoy will be gone in hell. The Beacon Dictionary of Theology says this, the New Testament frequently uses symbolic terms in, in, in referring to realities beyond the grave. This is necessary for we... For we can understand concepts only as they are expressed in terms of our earthly vocabulary. God must speak our language until we come to understand His. So it is that the place of eternal punishment, so different from anything we are familiar with in this world, is described by comparing it to things within our knowledge. So, that's why I think hell is worse than we can imagine and heaven is greater than we can imagine. And then finally, um, hell, the final place, is total separation from God. I, I know I've touched on this before, but I think this is ultimately the key. It is total separation from life, leaving only death. It is total separation from good, leaving only evil. And, you know, people talk about I've gone through hell or life is hell or whatever, but we really have no idea what it's like to have total separation from God because we've never experienced that. We have never experienced that in this life. So why hell? Why hell? Well, number one, God is loving but he is also holy and just. Holiness means that God is morally perfect. There's no evil, no sin, no corruption of any kind in him at all. That's what he's like by nature. That is God. He cannot and will not tolerate sin in his presence. And there is coming a day when he will remove it from his creation. For he, uh, Acts 17.31 For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So someday he will judge that and, and sin and evil and wickedness and all that will be separated from him forever. What can God do with those then who reject him? What can you do about people who have gone their own evil way? We are immortal beings created in the image of God. Um, we're too valuable to be annihilated. Have you ever thought about that? We're too valuable to be annihilated. Yet God's not going to force us to be in relationship with Him. So there's one alternative. And that is hell. In fact, the next point is this. Hell honors dignity and value. Lee Strobel, in the case for faith, 
said this, Have you ever been around someone who is unbelievably good-looking, extremely attractive, and a lot smarter than you are? Happens to me all the time. When you're in a social situation, people want to listen to, to that person, not to you. Suppose you don't care for that person, but you're kept in a room with them 24 hours a day for 30 years. That would be an unbelievably difficult experience. Now multiply those qualities 10,000 times, and that's a little bit what God is like. He is real. He is real smart. He's very attractive. He's a lot more morally pure than we, could, we are. And if people do not fall passionately in love with Him, then to force them to have to be around Him forever, doing the kinds of things that people who love Him want, would want to do, would be utterly uncomfortable. God respects our dignity by not forcing Himself on us. We are not robots. He respects our value by not destroying us. The only alternative is hell. And again, C.S. Lewis put it this way, There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. And then three, we are created in God's image. And because of that, we are eternal beings. I've already made reference to that. We live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. And the other thing, and I think God took... To me, this incredible risk, and we see how we've been able to disappoint Him by taking that risk, we are self-determining. We are what are called free moral agents. We have the ability to choose for or against God. We're self-determining. And it's that choice, whether we choose for God, whether we choose Jesus and what He did for us on the cross and the forgiveness of sins or reject that, that determines where we will spend eternity when this physical life is over. So here's the verdict. Here's the verdict. It's your choice. Carl M. Leth in the Articles of Faith, What Nazarenes Believe and Why, why writes this. And again, referring to C.S. Lewis. He says, C.S. Lewis helps, offers a helpful description of Judgment Day in his book, The Great Divorce. On that day, he suggests, only two kinds of people will stand before God. Those who have said to God, Thy will be done, and surrendered to the life-giving Lordship of Christ, and those to whom God will finally reluctantly say, Thy will be done. The latter will be released to their own Lordship. The judgment they suffer will, in fact, be their own. The, the God who has given us the significance of human freedom must at last recognize our insistent declaration of independence. C.S. Lewis, writing on hell, says, There is no doctrine that I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this. And a lot of people have. 
if it lay in my power to do so. But it has the full support of Scripture and specifically of our Lord's own words. It always has been held by Christendom and has the support of reason. Later he adds, I said glibly a moment ago that I would pay any price to remove this doctrine. I lied. I could not pay one fractional part of the price that God has already paid to remove this fact. There's a way out. There's a way out. And then the reality of hell should motivate us. A student enrolled in a seminary course on preaching submitted a sermon outline entitled Things in Hell That Belong in Church. At first, the professor was skeptical about the contents of an outline with such a sensational title. On further examination, he was satisfied that the sermon made some very good observations. After several points on things like genuine faith in God and heartfelt sin for sorrow, there was a point based on Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus, referring to the rich man's request for a special evangelist for his five surviving brothers. The student emphasized that one thing in hell that belongs in the church is a burden for the lost. English missionary C.T. Studd said this, Someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I don't want anybody to go there. Remember, remember at some point I shared with you the idea that we need to pray. I mean, some point, not in this sermon, but or last week, but at some point in a message I preached in the past, I shared with you the idea that we need to pray to, that God would increase our evangelistic temperature by one degree. My feeling is that for many of us, one degree might not be enough. But the point is that we should be motivated to have a heart for people who don't know Jesus and without Him are headed to eternal hell. That should be an unbearable thought for us. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says this, and I pray this often, Julie and I pray this together, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always prepared, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we need to understand this. Hell is avoidable. You don't have to go there. One day, when Vice President Calvin Coolidge was presiding over the Senate, one senator angrily told another to go straight to hell. The offended senator complained to Coolidge as presiding officer, and Coolidge looked up from the book he had been leaving through while listening to the debate and wittily replied, I've looked through the rule book, he said. You don't have to go. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 19. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And then Joshua as 
part of his farewell address, after he had led the people to conquer Canaan, said this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice. And God has given this that, that choice. Listen, God loves you. He, hell was not created for you. You were created for heaven. God wants us in eternity with Him, but it's our choice. And the good news is that through Christ our sins have been paid for. In Christ there is hope. And how can you be sure that heaven is your home? Well, we have to admit our need. Admit that we are in need of a Savior. And that means I'm, I admit that I'm not perfect. Only God is perfect. We admit that we've blown it and made mistakes. We, we recognize that we are sinners in need of salvation. We own up to it. Recognizing our need for Jesus is the first step. And then we have to believe that Jesus died for us. Believing means more than just head knowledge. You can believe in something but not practice it. What I mean is that you place your trust in Jesus Christ because you do believe what He did for you on Calvary's cross. You reach out to Him and rely on Him. You, you surrender to Him. You put faith in what He did when He shed His blood to, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you repent. Sometimes we leave that aspect out of it. It's like, confess your sins and you're good to go. But folks, there's a repentance element that's part of that as well. We turn away from our sins. We walk in a new direction. We must decide to leave our old way of life and its practices behind and live differently. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if you have new life in Christ, hell is not in your future. Good news. Good news. Heaven awaits us. That's where God wants us to be. And we all have the opportunity to go there if we take the steps that I just shared with you. We have to admit our need. We have to recognize that we're sinners in need of salvation. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ who suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And then we need to repent and walk in a new direction. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your scripture that, that tells us there is a hell to be avoided and a heaven to be gained. And one thing I would pray, Father, is that which I mentioned earlier, and that the reality of hell would motivate us who know Jesus Christ. We should not be willing to, to let people just go to hell because no one has ever shared with them what Jesus has done for them. And that they can be forgiven of their sins. They can make Jesus Lord and Savior of their lives. And heaven can be their future, not hell. But I also pray today, 
that anyone in here who has not accepted Jesus as Savior would take that step today. Number one, admit their need. I am a sinner. I'm in need of saving, in need of salvation. Number two, to believe in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and shed your blood that I might have forgiveness of sins. And I put my faith in you today to do exactly that, to forgive me of my sins. And then number three, to determine through the power and work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to walk in repentance. I'm not going to do the things I did before. I'm not going to live the way I did before. I'm going to walk in a new direction, in a new way, in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture. And folks, if any of you today who are here this morning had not ever prayed that before but prayed it today, I want you to know that Jesus has saved you. It's a faith thing. Sometimes I know for many it sounds too easy. Well, that's all you've got to do. And it, I, I understand it's the first step. It's the step where Jesus comes and does what He promised. He forgives us of our sins. But walking in repentance is something we must do. Living in the way that Jesus has called us to through the Scripture, through the, through the truth of Scripture. And so, if you prayed that prayer today, I congratulate you. And I pray for you that God now will help you to walk in the truth. And what you did today will be a reality in your life because Satan will come and he will say, no, 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 that didn't happen. It's not that easy. God could never forgive you. Don't buy into the lie. Jesus did in your life exactly what you asked him to. And Lord God, we give you praise today for salvation through Jesus Christ and for the promise of heaven as our home when this earthly body, the tent we live in, is destroyed. We go to be with Jesus. Oh, thank you for making a way for us to you through Jesus Christ. We give you praise today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.